Well, church, we're just going to have church this morning, amen? You might not beat the Methodist to the buffet today, but that's okay, amen? Because we're just going to have church. And it's good to see you this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9 today, and the reason that we're going to take our time and just worship the Lord together is because church matters. Church matters. And so since church matters, it matters how we church. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, and so it matters that we be clean, and it matters that we stay close to him. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. So it matters that we, his body, stay strong and true. The Bible says that we, the church, are the pillar and ground of truth. And so it matters that we hold high the absolute standard of truth for all men. Church matters. This matters. Amen? And it matters that we do it right. And so we have been studying our way through 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning. If you've not been with us, towards the beginning of the year, we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we have worked our way all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Why? Because we need the whole counsel of God. We need every line, we need every verse, we need every truth. You know what we found as we have looked at this church, the church at Corinth? We have found... To put it mildly, that this church had some issues to work through. This was a messed up church. By the way, all churches are messed up to some degree because all people are messed up to some degree. We are not a perfect church. If that's what you expect, then, then I am sorry because we will let you down. I will let you down. The person in the pew next to you lets you down. But let's be honest, so does the person in the mirror. And so my admonition is, if you ever find a perfect church, stay away from it, because you'll mess it up. You look at the Bible, there are no perfect churches. You look at the Bible, there are no perfect people, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at this church of Corinth. They struggled with the issue of division in the church. They had cliques and were were arguing and bickering and, 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 and had division in the body. They had issues of depravity and needed church discipline to deal with the, the, the wickedness that had taken root in the church. And this church experienced difficulties. In fact, our current portion of scripture is kind of like a great big question and answer session. And so they had asked the Apostle Paul some questions about some different things. We saw in chapter 7, they had asked him some questions about marriage. We saw in chapter 8, they had asked him some questions about Christian liberty and meat. And whether or not it was okay for Christians to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Was it okay for the Christian to go to Zeus's birth? burger barn and get something to eat. And Paul is dealing with these things. And we saw last time in chapter 8 that when it comes to matters that we may not see eye to eye on, and by the way, there will always be matters we don't see eye to eye on, that the proper way to handle it is not to beat one another over the head with our superior knowledge. Well, if brother or sister so-and-so would just listen, I know, get over yourself. We're not to beat one another over the head with our superior knowledge. We're also not to plow through one another with our liberty. 
but rather we are to engage and to edify and to build up and to prefer one another in love. Because lifting up Jesus and loving others is more important than the nonsense that we fight about most of the time. And so that's chapter 8, which leads us into chapter 9. And so Paul is going to continue in chapter 9 dealing with uh, and detailing his own testimony of sacrificial servant leadership and sacrificial servant living. That's what Charles read to us. Paul said, I could have done all these things, but I didn't. Because, verse 12, I have not used this power, but suffer all things. Why? Lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. And so Paul details his own testimony, and Paul drives home this point with an analogy or an illustration that we can all understand. We're going to look at that at the end of the chapter this morning, and he's going to talk to us about a runner, a runner who is engaged in, in something akin to the Olympic Games. Back in Corinth, they used to have the Isthmian Games, kind of like the Olympics. How many have ever watched the Olympics? couple people that's good you know what are the olympics olympics are those times every couple of years when we do what when the whole world comes together in peace and love and harmony and goodwill the whole world comes together and we do what we engage in humble competition with one another spreading goodwill throughout the earth that's what the olympics are right No, here's what the Olympics are. We send our best athletes over there for one reason, to kick the butt. Can I say that on a Sunday morning? (laughs) To kick the butt of the best athletes of every other country. You know, I think if I watched the USA swim or run or jump or whatever they're going to do, I want to see them win, amen? I found on YouTube the other day, USA was playing in some three-on-three basketball tournament. And it was a mixture of washed-up players and, and players who never really made it. And we had four or five guys who were playing. And I'd watch them on YouTube. And you know what? I get frustrated at them referees. That's a foul. Oh, that's that European favoritism. Ah, oh, the fix is in. You know what? I watched USA day after day. They made it all the way to the finals. And then we were one shot away from winning, and we didn't. You know what I didn't do? I didn't turn off the TV and go, oh, well, boy, they did their best. It's like, man, come on. How they beat us? I don't even know where that country is. (laughs) You know, church, In the age of the participation trophy, we need to know that the word win is not a dirty word. You know what? I'm glad Jesus won for me. That Jesus on that cross, he said, it is finished. And he paid for all my sin. I'm so glad that that, that Jesus died and he was buried, but he didn't stay there. He won. He rose again, praise the Lord. And I'm so glad that because Jesus won for me, I have, I have a victory over the penalty of sin. I don't have to die and go to hell. I have victory over the power of sin. I don't have to yield my members 
as servants to sin anymore. And one day I'll have victory even over the presence of sin when I'm there with him in glory. I'm so glad Jesus won for us. You know, sometimes we look around at the world we live in, and it's a pretty dark place. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of nasty, dark junk out there. And sometimes it's easy to wonder, God, what are you doing? God, why are you allowing this to happen? But let me encourage you this morning. Take the book, go to the end, and you know what you find? Spoiler alert, we win. Because there's coming a day, as Miss Talia is saying, that there will be no more night. There will be no more pain. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, that we'll be in a place where sin can't defile anymore. Hey, we win because Jesus won. I'm so glad Jesus won for us. But here's the reality that Paul speaks to this morning. Not just that Jesus won for us, but that I ought to want to win for him. I ought to want to win for him. And if that's going to happen, it's not going to happen by accident. So I want to look at the back half of the chapter this morning and look at this thought, running to win. 1 Corinthians 9, let's pick up in verse number 19. Paul wrote this. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And under the Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, that, that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without law, is without law. Not a being not without law unto God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not, Paul says, that they which run in a race run all. But one receiveth the prize. Read that last part of that verse with me. So run that ye may obtain. Running to win this morning, Roman numeral one, it's going to require that our contest be recognized. Our contest recognized. In verse 24, we are commanded to run to win. We are commanded to run to win. By the way, if we're not trying to win, then why are we running? I don't know about you, but I struggle with losing. We don't struggle with losing as much as we used to. I think the era of the participation trophy has made us all soft. But if we're not running to win, why are we running? Christians are called to run the race that God has given them. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, the writer of Hebrews said this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, what is he saying? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Christians are called to run the race that God has given them. You know God has a purpose for your life. You know God has something for you to do. You know the reality is if you're not dead, God's not done. Well, I'm young. I can't. You know what? Yes, you can. You say, preacher, well, well I'm old, so I can't. No, yes, you can. 
You say, preacher, well, I, I'm busy, so I know. Yes, you can. If you're not dead, God's not done. God has a purpose for you. And Christianity is not a spectator sport. There is no one who is saved to sit. There is no one this side of heaven who gets to retire from following Jesus. Oh, we may retire from the workplace and we may, we may transition ministry here or there, but none of us reach a place on this side of heaven where we just don't serve Jesus anymore. There's no retiring. There's no graduating to the coach of the other runners. No. If you are here, you are a runner in the race that Christ has given you. And beloved, let me make it clear this morning, we are talking about Christians running the race that Christ has given them. I want to define my terms today. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary. You're not a Christian because your mama was. Or your grandma was. You're not a Christian because you're in church this morning. You're not a Christian because you've been baptized or you went to a Christian school. You're not a Christian because you give money or do good things or even have some awareness of God in Jesus. That's not what makes a Christian. What makes a Christian is when we individually make the decision to turn to Christ, putting our faith in who he is. He is the very son of God. And put our faith in what he's done for us. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. Amen? Amen. And so Christianity is not a spectator sport. So as we consider our recognizing our contest this morning, I think we have to think first of all to recognize the course. You know, Paul is very clear about why he was running. What did Paul want to do? He wanted to make the greatness of Christ known everywhere he went. He wanted to make the grace of Christ known everywhere he went. He wanted to make the glory of Christ known everywhere he went. We see in the verses that we read a little bit earlier, he said, uh, 19 and 20, he said, though I be free from all men, he said, I made myself the servant of all men. He said, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew. He said, to them that are without the law, as without the law, to the weak, I became weak. Everywhere he went, what did he want to do? He wanted to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to make his life count. Why? Verse number 22. He said at the end of the verse that I might by all means save some. It's clear why Paul was running. Can I ask this morning? Is it clear why you're running? What are we running after? If we're like the vast majority of Americans, we're running for the American dream, for a more comfortable lifestyle, to get, to gain, to, to, can all we, to, to get all we can, to can all we get, and hold on to it as long as we can. If we're like... The majority of our culture, what are we running for? We're running to facilitate our own comfort, our own ease. But Christian, is that what Christ has called us to? 
You know, I think about within our Christian life, if we just narrow it down to the Christian life, let me ask you, Christian, what are we running towards? What are we pressing towards? What are we after? I think a lot of us would maybe come to realize that we don't really have well-defined goals that we're running towards. And the reality is it's hard to hit a target you don't see clearly. It's hard to run when you don't know where you're headed. I love the story of a man who challenged three little boys to a race through the snow. And and the man said, it's a race, but it's a race with a twist. It's not about how fast you get to me. I want to see, rather, who can make the straightest line as they come. And so the first little boy, he was determined to, to walk in a straight line. And so that little boy looked down at his own feet. The second little boy, he decided that he was going to look around at the other boys around him and try to take his cues from there. The third little boy did it differently. Rather than looking at his feet or looking around him, he looked right at the man. Let me ask you, who do you think ran the straightest line? It matters that we know what we're running towards. It matters. And let's be specific this morning. What are we running towards as individuals? What are we running towards as families? What are we running towards as a church? I'm running that I might walk with God, that I might pray to win, that I might win others, that I might give, that I might fight temptation. What are we running for this morning? I think it's helpful for us to recognize the course. I think it's also, as we consider the contest, we not only recognize the course, but we need to recognize the competitors. Because let's be honest, it ain't a race unless it's a competition. But who are we competing against? Can I tell you in love who we're not competing against this morning? One another. We're not competing against one another. I think it's sad that we so easily sometimes take to tearing down our brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, this is something as, as old as humanity itself, as old as the church itself. In Galatians 5 and verse number 15, it says this, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. And sometimes we find it far too easy to talk about one another, to tear down the body of Christ. Well, that's not what I want, or that's not how I like it, or that's not how I would do it. I want to encourage you this morning, stop. Stop fighting each other. Stop fighting the body of Christ. You may not do it that way, but that's okay. Because we're not running against each other. Can I tell you something we are running against? Time. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse number 4, he said this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Why? Because the night cometh when no man can work. You know, the reality is that the window of opportunity always closes. You know, I think Sunday school teachers 
Those kids won't always be in your class. Sunday school teachers, you won't always have the capacity to teach. I think about this. Parents, those kids won't always be in your home. The time is short. I had one join the youth group this week. That hits a little different. When I moved here, he was one month old. Now I'm old. Thank you, Chuck. But mom and dads, we, we have a small window. We're, we're not running against each other. We're running against the clock. You know, you won't always have that job. You won't always have those neighbors. We run against time. We run against the powers of darkness. Here's the thing, though, and we've got to get it. I'm not fighting you, and you shouldn't be fighting me. Let's compete where we need to. Recognize the contest in front of us. Let us run to win. So let me ask you this morning, where are you running? How are you running? Why are you running? Run to win. If we're going to run to win, we have to see first the contest recognized. But I want you to see something else. Look at verse 25. Paul wrote this. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. So again, Paul is continuing this analogy of an Olympic runner, and he is running to win. What's it going to require? It's going to require, first of all, that we recognize the contest we're in. It's going to require, second of all, that we restrain our conduct. You know, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, live different than you and I do. They sleep different. They eat different. They engage in different entertainment. They, they have different social norms. They're just different. I'm going to tell you, there is nothing dumber for an Olympian to do than to live like me. Because I like chips. And I like Lucky Charms. And I like staying up late. And I don't like getting up when the alarm goes off. And I like ice cream. Ice cream is good, amen? It's hard to go wrong with ice cream, except, except, except peanut butter, only because it would kill me. And uh, if it were the only thing available, it still might be worth it. Um, (laughs) But Olympic athletes, they live different, don't they? Nothing dumber for an Olympian to do than live like me or you. But I'm going to tell you, Nothing dumber for the Christian to do than to live like the world. Paul here says that every man who striveth for the mastery, every man that's running to win, he is temperate in all things. Now that word temperate, it's, it's a word, it's going to hurt, um, it's going to offend your modern sensibilities. Uh, that word temperate simply means this, brace yourself, self-control. It means self-control. It means being able to look at yourself and say, no, no, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not going to drink that. No, I'm not going to. You fill in the blank. 
Paul reminds us here, though, of the necessity of temperance. Mastery over oneself. This idea of temperance, telling ourselves no, it really is all but lost in the culture and church today. What happens? I want it. And so if I want it, what do I do? I think I am do it as quickly as possible. But you know, life really does come down to being self and spirit controlled. I want to help you this morning. Just because you want it doesn't mean you should. Can I help you a little more? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Did you notice in the testimony of Paul? Go back to verses 4 and 5. What did Paul say? He said, have we not power, the authority to eat and drink? Verse 5, have we not the power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? Paul said, I have all these things that I could have done. Paul said, you know what? I could have looked at you and said, I have my rights. He said, I could have... I could eat what I want, I could marry, and he said also he develops, I could have required you, Church of Corinth, to pay for my ministry. He said, but I didn't do any of that. He said, I didn't do any of that. He said, I could have, but I didn't. Why? Verse number 15. But I have used none of those things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. Paul says, I don't want those things because the gospel is more important. And the reality is, Paul was teaching the church of Corinth, and Paul is teaching you and I today, that if we are going to run to win, we are going to have to learn to tell ourselves no. You know, there's going to be a lot of times I'm going to have to look at my flesh and say no. 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 There are going to be things that want to take me out of church. And I'm going, to have to want to look, I'm going to have to look at those things and say, no. There are things that are going to want to eat up my capacity. You know what? In a couple of months, we're going to have our missions conference. And we're going to ask our church family to pray about what we can give financially this year to further the gospel of Christ. You know, the reality is if I want to give more there, I'm going to have to spend less somewhere else. So I'm going to have to look at some things in my life that that want to eat up my capacity to give to the things of God. And you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to say, no. These things might not be bad things. These things may be pleasant things. But I'm going to have to look at them and say, no. Athletes are a conditioned bunch And they're a self-controlled bunch. And there are things that they want to do, but they know what? That they want to win more. Our conduct restrained, a conditioned conduct, but also a committed conduct. Do you ever think about this? These athletes have pretty regulated routines. Their alarm 
goes off at 5 a.m. or whenever it does, I guarantee you it's earlier than my alarm goes off. You know what I don't think they do? Yes! Time to go on a midnight run. Woo! Here we go. It's 5 a.m. I'm all geared up. It's 4 a.m. Let's pump out 10 miles today. I don't think they get up that way most of the time. I think they get up like you and I do. Oh. But they get up. And these athletes have a pretty regulated routine. They take control of their body. Look at verse 27. I love a phrase that Paul used here. He says at the beginning of the verse, he says, but I keep my body and I bring it into subjection. To keep my body, it means to be disciplined. And it kind of paints a picture, it's a very vivid picture, of almost like boxing. And so for the athlete, when his body wants to hit the snooze button, what does he do? He says, no. Get back. And he gets up. When his body says, ooh, Fritos <laughs> and Frosties, mmm, what does he do? He looks at his body and he says, no, no, you get back in place. And that's the picture for us as Christians. And we, by God's grace and for God's glory, we keep our body in subjection. Self-discipline. It comes down to the question of who calls the shots. Does my body call the shots? Does my circumstances call the shots? Or does the Spirit of God call the shots? You know, it's not easy to bring our bodies into subjection, is it? Not physically and certainly not spiritually. But if you're going to run to win, we're going to have to learn how to. The reality is I don't want to train like an Olympian. Like not even in theory. Why? Because I like Lucky Charms too much. You say, preacher, you're talking about Lucky Charms a lot today. My mommy bought them for me when I was on vacation this year. And so... (laughs) So they're on my mind, okay? (laughs) I don't want to train like an Olympian. You know what? I think sometimes we look at the Christian life and we think, well, preacher, nobody really lives like that anymore and everybody just kind of living pretty fancy free and doing whatever they want. And the reality is we live in a very entitlement-minded society, don't we? Where everyone wants their due. But I'm reminded from the words of Paul this morning. I'm reminded from the reality of the scriptures this morning. This truth when it comes to our conduct restraint. Why should we live like that? Why should we bring our body into subjection? For this reason, no matter what you feel life may owe you, you owe Jesus more. No matter what you feel life owes you, if you've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus, you owe Jesus more. Run to win. We've seen first, we have to recognize our contest. Christian, where are you running? 
What are you pressing towards? What are you after in life? We've seen, secondly, our, 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 our conduct restrained. But I want you to see this last point this morning. Our character rewarded. Paul said at the end of verse 25 that they run to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He said, therefore, so run. Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. A contest recognized, a conduct restrained, a character rewarded. To finish the analogy, Paul brings to light the reality that one day each of us will finish our course and will stand before the righteous judge. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10 makes that clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive of the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That word bad there simply means worthless. It, it alludes back to 1 Corinthians 3 that we've already studied that the work of our lives will be tried in the fire and it will either come out as gold, silver, and precious stone or it will come as wood, hay, and stubble it will be burnt and we will be left with nothing. But the reality is that every one of us will stand before the judge. And the reality is you will stand before God alone. You're not going to stand before God and blame it on your wife. You're not going to stand before God and blame it on your husband. You're not going to stand before God and blame it on the president, on the Supreme Court, on the culture, on your neighbor, on your kids. None of that. You will stand before God and give an account for yourself. And Christian, I love you this morning, but if I can be direct, there are no participation trophies in heaven. We have the athletic metaphor that Paul continues. And we have this judge This judge would monitor the runners, and as the judge watched the runners compete, if he found that one had failed to follow the rules, or if he found that one had failed to uphold the spirit of the games, most notably, if the athlete had not given their all, then the judge would disqualify that athlete from reward. When Paul says, lest I should become a castaway, that word castaway literally means disqualified. The runner doesn't lose his citizenship. He loses his reward. You and I don't lose our salvation. What do we do? We lose our reward. And the reality is, if we don't run well, we run the risk of losing our reward. So I ask us this morning, are we running to win? We all have our own race. Your race is not mine. My race is not yours. God has given me things to do. God has given you things to do. We're not competing against one another. We should be helping one another. We can all win our own race. 
of this thought, Paul mentions winning a crown. Now, today, what do they win today? They win a what? A medal. Back then, they would win a crown, but not like a cool crown that was made of gold and jewels. That would be cool. What they won back then was significantly less cool. What they would do is they would win a crown made of uh, laurel leaves that had been woven together. Think about that. They trained for years to run for moments to win a crown of leaves that would die in a few days. It's almost a little, like, disappointing. You train for years to run for minutes to win a crown that fades in a few days. But the reason this was a big deal was not the crown. The reason this was a big deal was what they did with the crown. You see, back then, when they won their race and they won their crown, they would take that crown and they would offer it to their king. By the way, we do something similar in ours. What do we do? We tally medals by country still, don't we? We say, well, the USA is one X number. And so it wasn't so much the crown. It was what they do with it. And Christian, you may listen today and say, well, it's not that big a deal. I don't really care if I get a crown in heaven or not or this or that or the other. It's not the crown. That's such a big deal. It's what we get to do with it. Lay it at Jesus' feet. Women love to shop, amen? Even when they don't need anything, they love to shop, amen? Sometimes I think they look to try to find something they need. Boy, you men got quiet all of a sudden. But we men are not that way, are we? We men are not that way. I know what I want. I know where it's at. I already know what the price is going to be with sales tax. And I got a plan. And we're going to pull up. And I'm going to go. Christopher, if there's any part of a line, just go ahead and save my spot. Amy, take two laps around the parking lot. We'll be out. One and a half laps in. You slow down. We jump in. We're gone. Actually, pull over, stop, get out of the driver's seat so I can drive, and then we're done. <laughs> Let's be more realistic. I mean, it's almost like a black ops operation. We don't like to shop. But I can think of one time in my life when I really did shop. And, oh... It was such a painstaking process. I can remember going store to store to store to store and listening to the salespeople and looking at different things and and listening and learning and listening and looking and listening and just, it was painstaking. And the crazy thing was, 
I wasn't even shopping for me. What was I doing? I was, I was shopping for a ring. This was way back in 2008. I was the summer intern. Went to the Sandusky County Mall multiple times. <laughs> and I can remember looking at those price tags. What do they say? They say uh, engagement ring should be what, like two months salary or something like that. Back then I was making, what, 50 a week, right? $50 a week is the intern back there. <laughs> Um, minus my tithe and taxes. So I went in and I was like, what you got for 400 bucks? And uh, that was what the salesperson did too. So uh, they laughed at me as well. But um, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I worked at it. Why? Why? Because I wanted something special. I remember when I finally bought it. You know what I did when I bought it? I brought it back here and I showed everybody. I showed it to Tammy Messer in the office. I showed it to Bill Brown. I showed it to anybody who would look at it. Why? Because I was proud of it. And I was proud and I was excited. Why? Not so much for what it was, but for who I got to give it to. Tuesday be 14 years, right? Okay. <laughs> Thought I was good. 14 years with a woman who truly meant for better or worse in sickness and in health. It wasn't the ring. It wasn't the ring. It wasn't the shininess, it wasn't the expense, it wasn't the, it wasn't the ring, it was the girl. Can I tell you? We're running to win. We're running to win, we're running to win, we're running to win. Why? Yeah, we'll, we'll get a crown. But it's not about the crown. It's about Jesus. It's about our King. We run to win. Let me ask you this morning. What are you running for in this life? What are you pressing towards? Do you pray to win? Do you read your Bible to win? Do you, do you witness to friends and family to win? Do we give to win? Do we parent to win? Do we do marriage to win for Jesus? What are we running for today? Are you running to win? You say, preacher, it's hard. Yes, it is. It is hard. But it's worth it. As Paul said in Romans 8 and verse number 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, you know what? The, the sufferings of sometimes I got to tell myself no. You know, the sufferings of sometimes it hurts and I don't want to get up and I don't want to go to church and, and I want to lose my temper on my family, but I don't. 
And sometimes it's hard. But the sufferings of this present time, what, are not worthy to be compared with the glory shall be revealed in us. This morning, the invitation is simple. First, Christian, would you this morning do business with God and just commit you're going to run to win? You're going to run to win. Maybe the Lord will give you some specific goals that you can run to in this season. But you're going to tell God this morning, I'm going to run to win. And yes, I might get tired. And yes, sometimes it might hurt. And yes, sometimes it might be hard. But I'm going to run to win. And I want to say, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, the only way to get in the race is to get under the blood. If you have any question about what that means to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we're going to stand in just a moment. Folks all across the building are going to be praying. I want you to come get my attention, get someone's attention so we can show you how you can be a child of God. Hey, church, I'm glad he won for us. Amen. Let's run to win from him. Stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed.